Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we'd like to remind everyone that tails never fails <laughs> as we head into one of the more important coin flips that I paid attention to. Uh, did you know you can make a prop bet on this coin toss for 50-50 odds? That sounds wise. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, this is our final free agency podcast where we're going to preview the interior offensive line and give you our preferred plan of attack and free agency. But John Lynch is also dropping hot fire, and that's where we're going to start. Let's start with a quick rundown because there is some news that came out recently. The combine is starting. Things are happening. Probably my favorite take of the whole wide weekend is John Lynch saying that, with all due respect to Ken Norton, He's not sure that he took a better job in taking the defensive coordinator position in Seattle. Oh, so great. Um, and it's like one of those things There's something that we, as we were talking about this before the show, you mentioned that's like this is the type of thing that he can get away with. Right. Because he's a former player, like uh, likely going to be a Hall of Fame player at some point. And you just kind of, you know, he can say some of those things that, you know, probably a lot of other general managers who don't have that same sort of experience can get away with. It just feels like players giving each other a good, like a good yeah. rib. It's like, ha, 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 kind of poke it. You couldn't see someone like Gutekust or Gutnust get away with saying something like this. You just yep. couldn't do it. So John Lynch is doing John Lynch things, which is great. Vontae Davis is a Buffalo Bill. Uh, I hope he gets getting slammed through tables because that's apparently the national pastime of Buffalo. You haven't seen this? Bill's Mafia? Yeah, no, I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. L- look up uh, Bill's Mafia girlfriend Miss Table uh, and that will enlighten your day. Uh, Ziggy Ansa officially gets a franchise tag. And honestly, it's for the best. It-, it removes the headache or it moves the 49ers from having to deal with the headache because if you listen to our Edge podcast, you know exactly how we feel about Ziggy Ansa. Uh, and give me Gary or give me death. <laughs> Gary Guillaume oh re-signing God. a two-year transitional deal. David, how does that make you feel? It doesn't make me feel anything. <laughs> it's a, I'm just happy I get another year and maybe two of being able to say Gary Guillaume. Yeah, I mean, there's like, I barely gave it a second thought. It's like, okay, cool. He's going to be around for at least like another training camp and, you know, whatever. If he sticks around, power to him. It's the perfect transitional deal. It's a low-risk, you know, deal for someone who played you know average when he played in i think he played like 30 snaps 36 snaps yeah he, he played 36 snaps him. he played average which was a bit of a boost from his time in seattle but it's it's if he ends up playing not great or we end up drafting a rookie that ends up overtaking him you cut him and it's no harm no foul his name is really the important thing it's look it up two r's uh two l's it's it's great i love it can't get enough I just love hearing you say it. I mean, I'm, I'm down to keep him around just for that. Marcus Peters is not a 49er. John Lynch said, quote, we felt at some point it was best to duck out. And you know what? Eh, can't blame him. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a spot where you have actually some quality options. I mean, I, I like my Marcus Peters. Um, I, I think he's probably one of the top, if not if not the single top guy. And when it comes to uh, making plays in the back end, right? Getting his hands on the ball, making positive plays for your defense. Um, so I think he's really great in that regard, but uh, there are other options, you know, available in free agency w- that you can go out and get without having to give up draft compensation. Yeah. And that's the thing is with someone like Marcus Peters, you are likely giving up draft compensation and then eventually money. Whereas if you just sign a high dollar free agent right now, you're just giving up money. You're yeah. giving you're giving up the resource you have in spades. And there's still, I mean, I think it's important right now. We'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but we're still at a point where we need those draft picks, right? It's not like the Patriots last year where, okay, it makes sense to trade away a second round pick or whatever it was for Brandon cooks, because we know that he can come in and, and be a playmaker for us right away. Like we still have a lot, of, a lot more holes to fill. We need more bodies. We need those draft picks still. All right. So let's get to our final free agent positional preview. That's going to be the interior offensive line. A recap of what we're looking for. We are looking for tier two and tier three players. These are going to be the foundational players that we can build around as well as tier three. Those those transitional players that you just expect to perform well for a couple of years while you groom or find their replacement. Ultimately, we're focusing on players with the ability to come in, play significant snaps and have an immediate impact. Cost matters. So we've got three cost buckets. You've got your top dollar bucket. You've got your mid-level bucket. These are generally your veteran players without elite talent. They can be had for less. And they're usually looked at as that tier three transitional option. And then you got your bargain candidates. These are buy low, low risk, guys that you sign, hopefully with upside. But if things don't work out, you can probably cut them. Now, again, the disclaimer that these are obviously our guesses. We do our best to put players in the bucket that we think makes the most sense. But 
Weird things happen. It's free agency. You could you could see someone's value rise twenty or thirty percent over the course of you know just a couple of days if people get into a bidding war. And so these are our best guesses. And obviously, we're talking about these players in the context of the bucket we think they're going to go in. And I think pretty much across everything except for the top dollar items, we probably would say that if any of the mid level guys rise into that top dollar or any of the bargain guys rise up into that mid level, then we're probably saying no. Yeah, you just want a hard pass at that point. And yeah. and so, yeah, you definitely need to consider how much it's costing to get them. But fit also matters, right? Um, I think two good questions to ask yourself when you're trying to determine that is, do they bring something to the table that we don't have on the roster right now? Do they add a, a, a new, unique thing that we need? Or do they improve on a role that already exists, right? We talk about with receivers. If you're going to go find a deep threat, well, they better be better than what Marquise Goodwin brings to the table if you're going to go out and get that player. And then you have to ask yourself whether that upgrade is worth the difference in cost. So that's the the big things to keep in mind with fit. For offensive line, um, you know, if, you, if you've been paying attention throughout these free agency podcasts, what they do in the passing game is is what matters the most. So it's pass protection, pass protection, pass protection with these offensive linemen. Um, obviously, you want them to not be terrible in the run game, and, and they need to be able to contribute there. But if, if they're no good in pass protection, then they shouldn't have a spot on your roster. So let's quickly talk about one of the players that we won't be discussing, and that's going to be Weston Richburg. It just seems unlikely that the Niners are going to be targeting top center options after re-signing Daniel Kilgore. Of course, he was signed just to a transitional deal, but they're not going to pay him and extend him and then go ahead and add another high-dollar signing on top of him. If the Niners do add someone, it will probably be in the draft because that's what these transitional contracts are made to do. He's made to sit as a placeholder for a year or two while some player gets some seasoning, and then he's put out to pasture and the other person takes over. So, so we think that's likely their plan at center, which means they're not going to go after someone like Richburg. Definitely. It's just it would be it would be weird, I think, for them to pay any significant money. And we talked about at the time of the Kilgore signing, it's not a great free agency class anyway at that position. Um, so we're basically we're not going to talk about any centers um, over the course. It, would, it originally was slated to be interior offensive line, but it's really turned into just guard because, uh, you know, Richburg's kind of the one guy that would have maybe made some sense. But you sign Kilgore and there's really nobody left there to talk about. So as the French would say, on God, I just thought of that one. I bet you like it. It's good, huh? <laughs> so let's talk about the guard position. <laughs> Dude, you almost killed me with a muscle hamster last week. Oh, I'm trying God. to kill you with terrible, <laughs> with terrible impressions. You almost but, caught me mid-drink there, about to like go down the wrong path. I should have waited just a split second to see if I can get you to almost die. It would have been payback. Cosmic, cosmic universal I no, I payback. I had nothing to do. I just pushed forward. <laughs> um. So when we get to the guard position and when we get to this preview, ultimately this is where the 49ers can get better in a hurry let's talk about the top dollar options because there are several top dollar options which i think other than cornerback we didn't really have other positions where there was top dollar really people to be had so the three top dollar players that we'll be talking about is are going to be andrew norwell josh Sitton, and justin Pugh. so first let's contextualize what kind of contract we think these players are going to get currently kevin zeitler is the highest paid guard and his average annual salary is $12 million, and he's got about $31.5 million in guarantees. Usually these deals are about five years because that's the length of time you can amateurize any kind of bonus. And so usually they stick around five years. Now, the franchise tag is projected to be about $14.5 million. So we think that that, you know, I don't think it'll get down to $12 million on average per year. I think it's going to be in that $14 million a year area for any of these players with anywhere between 35 and 50% guaranteed. Especially, I mean, especially with Norwell. Norwell is the one where you can bank on whoever ends up signing him is going to have to clear that that franchise tag mark, I think. Um, Sitton, and then I think especially Pew, because Pew has some more question marks that we'll get into um, here. But I think those guys will maybe come in a little bit under that mark. But definitely, yeah, I mean, we're, we're looking in that range. These guys are all going to be, you should expect them to be among the highest paid players at the position, if not the highest paid. So Andrew Norwell, guard for the Panthers. Let's start with the case for Andrew Norwell. You're getting the prime years of one of the best guards in football. Dude's young, and that matters. He's not aging. He wouldn't be a transitional guy. He would firmly be in that tier two foundational player that, especially at guard, it's because of the positional value that he's become available. But you're going to get a solid four years of really good production. He's like, what, 26 or 28? Oh, so, not yeah. I mean, he's coming off his rookie deal, so yeah. Um, so he's yeah, probably he twenty six. Yeah, right, right in that range. I forget exactly. Where so he's at. even if he plays out his entire contract, 
he at the end of that deal, he's 31. He's basically like Josh sitting age. Yeah. At the end which, of his, at the end of his deal, and again, which is still fine. Like for yeah. you, see these top end guards, these top end offensive linemen continue to play well even beyond that age into their mid thirties. So yeah, we talk about how the passing game is important. Well, Andrew Norwell is an incredible pass protector. He's only allowed thirteen total quarterback pressures on the year, and that's in five hundred and sixty four pass block snaps. For context, because you know how we love to give you context, especially 49ers related context. Lake and Tomlinson allowed nine pressures. In one game. One whole game. <laughs> oh, my God. It's one of my favorite things. Um, not only so, so only 13 pressures, right? So nine in one game gives you some like that's what a pretty terrible game looks like. Um, 13 over an entire season. Not a single one of those pressures were a sack or a hit. So he kept when every snap that he was in the game last year, he kept the quarterback clean. Didn't let him get hit. Didn't let him get touched. So. Uh, it's, I mean, it's really pretty incredible. He was the only guy with any sort of significant amount of snaps to be able to accomplish that last year with no sacks, no hits. Um, that led to him being the only guard in the league with a 90 plus pass block grade from PFF last year. So, uh, it it was, it was just kind of remarkable what he did in the past, uh, in the past game, like only had 26 snaps in like the entire year. Again, 564 pass block snaps, only 26 of those. Did he receive a negative grade? Um, he just doesn't lose many snaps, even when players are, are able to kind of maybe get a, a quick edge on him and, and get into his chest early. He's so good at being able to recover and kind of uh, find his balance and, and get that base um, set and be able to stop anything else from happening and, and having those snaps get worse. Uh, it's just kind of remarkable to watch him after watching 49ers guards for so long. The thing about Norwell is that he exhibits really, really good balance and fantastic body control. He's consistently able to recover on the rare snap where he's overpowered. You saw a lot of people try to go at him with the bull rush. McCoy tried it a couple of times. And even if he gets into his chest, he's able to reset. He's able to get his hands back into position. And he's able to stick on anyone that comes anywhere near him, which is pretty impressive. And the way that he moves for a guy who's so big, because he's 320 pounds. I think he's, I think he's listed at 320. Yeah, he, like maybe even a little bit more. He's a yeah. big dude. He, but he's a really, really big dude, and he's able to maneuver that weight exceptionally well. Definitely. And I think so one of my favorite things about this, and I think this is something that's especially important for interior offensive linemen, um, he just has such a great understanding of the pass rush schemes that he's facing. And, and it's this mental processing ability, right, which is important for all offensive linemen. But with tackles, you have a lot more one-on-one blocks where it's just like, okay, you need to be able to block the dude that is lined up outside of you, right, that you know who you're going to get. Um, there's a little bit less in terms of passing things off and, and being able to handle different types of stunts and blitzes that you deal with on the interior. And so uh, as a guard, you're definitely in a position more often where you have to be able to sometimes help out the guy next to you or sometimes pass things off and go pick up a linebacker that's coming. Those situations just kind of present themselves more often on the interior. And and you just never see, I mean, I didn't watch all of his snaps from this past season, but I watched a good number of them and you just never see him get lost on any of those stunts, right? He's always in the right position. He's always recognizing things before they happen uh, and is able to get that stuff passed off and get that communicated to his line mates and, and go pick up the guy that he needs to pick up. And um, I, I think that's something that, again, for an interior guy, uh, is something that the 49ers have struggled to to be able to do well consistently um, that he's just excellent at. Now, in addition to sustaining blocks and in addition to the mental processing, which allows him to understand pass rush schemes, this is a guy who is no slouch in the run game. We have been talking about his pass rushing ability thus far, but in the run game, he is still able to make all the blocks that you expect out of an elite offensive lineman. He led all guards in run block success in 2017. He had a 91% success rate on run blocks so this is someone where you are literally able to drop them in plug them in and know that you have one of the top three or five best players at the position and when you're looking at improving something right away this is an immediate improvement over anything we have on the roster immediately so when you look at the case against andrew norwell um well it's it's really difficult to find things uh from an on-field perspective uh, anything I think that you would bring up just feels incredibly nitpicky. Um, dude is good. 
Dude is good at everything. Um, you know, again, the run blocking is is there. He can do, you know, uh, the nice thing about Carolina's run scheme is they do a little bit of everything, right? They yeah. uh, mix in a whole bunch of different concepts. So you really get to see him execute a bunch of different types of blocks. Uh, and he's good at all of them. You can get up to the second level. You can do all the things that you need to be able to do in the zone scheme that the 49ers run. So there's no real concerns, uh, I think, there. Even for, like you mentioned, a larger player, uh, pushing 325 he can he can get out on the move get out in the screen game do all of those sorts of things well I think the only question that you start to get into with him which is a question with all of these guys is uh, is it worth paying a guard and having the highest paid guard in football on your team and this is the beginning of the positional value conversation is a guard something that you should pay 15 16 maybe even 17 million dollars a year for when you know you can get decent enough production out of someone with that you're paying half that cost. We're going to talk about some players later on in the show that are going to come at half or in some cases, you know, a quarter of the cost of someone like a Norwell. And there is an obvious dip in production. There is. To say there wouldn't be would be folly. But what is that difference and, and what is that difference worth? I'm not entirely sure that guard is a place where you have to spend 14 or $15 million a year. But and I'm hoping that given the amount of top level talent that if you're if you don't go for a Norwell, you still have kind of a, a little bit of a market for everyone else. Um, you know, you could make an argument that that because there's multiple people, then like everyone's going to pick their guy. And you're just going to pay him a bunch of money and have it go. But I'm I'm hoping that the existence of some of Sitton and Pew that that they end up basically fighting for deals and that drives their price down a little bit. Yeah, you're hoping that it doesn't get outrageous, right? Like, yeah. you know, nobody wants to be the the one that's that's stuck paying uh, Kyle Juszczyk money relative to his position, right? Where it's just uh, you're you're paying them so much more than the other guys that are uh, out there and guard that it just doesn't really make sense, right? That's where Juszczyk is at. He's just making so much more money than any other fullback. It's just like, how did you get there? So you don't want to find yourself in that position. I think there are some decent arguments that guard is important, right? You, you, a lot of things that are brought up there is uh, the number of, of great interior rushers that you have in today's game. I mean, obviously, we're very familiar with Aaron, Aaron Donald, Donald that we got to go against twice a year. Um, but there's a ton of guys out there, right, that kind of fit that same type of mold. The Gerald McCoys and Geno Atkins, DeForest Buckner, who thankfully we don't have to play, but there, there's a, a ton of guys at that interior spot that can kind of just cause a lot of problems for your offense. So I get wanting to have someone there um, that can kind of handle those guys. And you saw, you got to see that with Norwell, right? He played Gerald McCoy twice last year, did very well against him um, generally. So it's now the flip side of that, of course, is that if you have someone like a quarterback, let's say yep. a Jimmy Garoppolo, yep. that is going to elevate the play of the offensive line as he did in the final games of the 49ers season this past year, that you don't have to break the bank for a guard. You might have to break the bank for a guard when you've got someone like C.J. Beathard or Blaine Gabbert back there that needs a perfect pocket all the time. But when you look at someone like the quarterback that we've got, he is good enough to elevate the play of the offensive line. And so if you're looking at a situation like that, then maybe you don't feel like you need to spend as much at the guard position. And instead, you put that money into other places like pass catcher or cornerback to make sure that your quarterback doesn't have to throw 35 in order to win the game. And and there is still plenty of research out there that suggests that guard still doesn't have the same value. They, they shouldn't be valued the same way that tackles are. Um, I would encourage everyone, we won't get into it too much right now, I would encourage you to go listen to the PFF forecast. Eric and George from our analytics team there um, do a really excellent job kind of diving into a lot of the data um, that, that PFF has and, and really trying to find out what is the most valuable things, right? What helps you win games? And, and the kind of the bottom line that they found there is, hey, tackle is still way more important, right? You still have a lot more pressure. Um, even though you have all those interior guys to deal with, pressure is still more common on the edge. Um, a good guard play just doesn't contribute to winning as much as good tackle play. And then, of course, other positions. So uh, I think, yeah, it's it's there's a decent argument against it that you want to be good there. But with a guy like Garoppolo, I think it is a little bit less important. So let's get to the next player in the top level bucket of the free agency interior offensive line, and that's going to be Josh Sitton. Now, Josh Sitton's a late addition, someone we weren't expecting here. And when the Bears decided that they were not going to pay Josh Sitton any money and that instead they were going to, uh, I think he had an option, right? It was a team option that they, that they that, declined. Yeah, yeah, that they declined. It was like, oh, OK, here we go. 
Because this is a player where when you're looking at the case for Josh Sitton, he's sustained a high level of production over an extended period of time. And this isn't just like four years because it's on his rookie deal or whatever. He's earned an 85 or higher overall grade consistently since 2009. 2009. Is that That's a long time. Has that been a long time? That's, that's a long time. That's been a minute. Um, one of my favorites, so this was something that I wrote about actually today. I did the free agency preview for PFF, and one of the, the, the fun sitting stats of that time frame uh, that I came across. So since 2009, only 2.2% of his pass block snaps have led to a quarterback pressure. That's about one in every 46 pass block snaps that he's in there. So it's, it's maybe one a game, one a game essentially. Yeah. A little, little bit more than one a game is the average there. That's the lowest rate by far among guards uh, that have at least 1,000 pass block snaps in that uh, time frame. And he had the second most snaps. So it wasn't like he was one of the guys that was just kind of barely clearing that threshold, right? He had the second most snaps, was only one of only two players to have more than 5,000 snaps in that time frame. So dude is just been very good at pass protecting keeping his quarterback clean for a very long time um and, and it's it's hard to get you know to, to want more than what he brings to the table from that perspective now Sitton is a very very good schematic fit when you think about what he does and what he did in chicago well chicago ran a lot of zone in their run game 72 percent of the runs were inside or outside zone for chicago and the 49ers of course had the highest percentage of outside zone but they had, I think, like a 60, uh, 76% zone run percentage if you combine inside and outside zone. Uh, and they just had a higher majority of outside zone. But we know that Sitton can perform those run blocks very well because he had to do that in Chicago. His overall run block grade was 87.2. And, and so overall, you think, well, does he fit? Yeah, he does. And you think to yourself, well, does he fit? Because he's kind of big. Dude looks big. He looks bigger than Andrew Norrell when you see them on film. Um, but I, I texted David during this week when I was watching the film and I was like, he looks like a dancing bear. He looks like someone, Josh Sitton looks like someone who shouldn't be as nimble as he is and looks like he's probably going to topple over and shouldn't move that quickly. But instead, the dude has such great balance that you think to yourself, he's going to fall. He's going to, oh no, he didn't fall. Like I find myself <laughs> saying that watching his film several times. It's so important for offensive linemen, right? Like that balance is such a key part because, um, you have a lot of very talented, far more athletic players that you're going against snap in and snap out. And, uh, and it's tough, you know, it's tough for those guys to not let, you know, the, the Aaron Donalds of the world into your chest and try to throw you off balance. And so the guys who are able to recover and, and able to kind of handle those type of things and weather the storm a bit against those, uh, you know, top end players that you're going against. Um, it's, it's a rare thing. You, you don't see many players that are capable of going against those guys. Now I did a little bit of digging. Um, it actually it was, it was a lot of digging and I came up against one trait that I know David is going to love. This, this is the thing I think that elevates a guard in David's mind. And I know that he's got a predisposition towards loving players that do this, but David, I'm going to be the first to inform you that in Chicago, Josh Sitton was the les- the designated leg tapper. He made sure the ball was snapped on time. And I know that you love guards that make sure that that ball is snapped on time. Lock it up, man. Let's <laughs> let's do it. Do we even need to continue with the rest of these players? Like I think I'm done. This was this was what was it Zane Beatles the defining characteristic is he could tap the leg. It's no, the- it was Jordan Debbie. It was Jordan Debbie. I mean, it doesn't matter. Either one of them. It's the only thing that they do well. <laughs> well, Josh Sitton, let's look at the case against. Much, much like Norwell, there, it, there are not very many things here. When, when you think of the value discussion, because of Josh Sitton's age, that, that I think would be like the number one thing against is that he is older. He's at 32. Mm-hmm. It, that would be the number one thing. But what that does is it depresses his value. Offensive line is one of those positions where you do and are able to sustain really good production later in your career. So it's not as if his age 32 season is going to be, you know, a cliff where offensive linemen fall off. He could have another year or two or maybe even three where he's still really, really good. And so when you think about the argument against, I feel like that almost turns into an argument for because it means that you might have him for a cheaper amount. And if we draft an interior offensive lineman in rounds three, four, or five that you hope to develop and get some seasoning, what better person to have him do that behind but someone like a Josh Sitton 
And because you're paying sitting closer to transitional money, even if you're probably going to have to overpay a little bit, it makes that deal quite a bit more palatable. Definitely. I, I do think you're right in that he goes for a little bit less than normal. It might not be a ton, but it's going to be it's going to be less. I mean, Norwell's going to be the new highest paid guard. I think there's very, very little chance that doesn't happen. Um, and so it's like, OK, if you're not necessarily comfortable with that, but you still want to go get a top end player and uh, somebody that it, it becomes difficult to look at um, things beyond three years. Right. I, I think it's just with the way contracts are structured, most of them are able to you're able to get out of them easily after that three year point. And it's just hard to project what roster needs and all those different random things that, that go into that are going to be beyond that point. So I think, is he a player that can come in and you can count on for three years? Like, yeah, I think so. There's nothing in his play from last season that leads me to believe that he's on the decline and that you should worry about him, um, you know, getting worse as, as, uh, in the next couple seasons here. Like, he's still that top-end player um, that, that's one of the best at the position, and he does the thing, again, that's most vital that you're looking for here. If you're going to go out and pay somebody they better be damn good pass protectors. Like you yep. can't go get the guy that's just the, the Mike you potty, right? You can't go pay him that kind of money when he's not very good in pass protection. So um, I think that's the great thing about these top two players here is that they're really, really good in that area. Um, and you can feel, I mean, the, the one, I think other argument for going out and getting offensive linemen in free agency is it's safer, right? I know that I, I have very little doubt, even in the world of football, that's very, very random and unpredictable that either of these two players is going to come in and be and be really be good awesome, immediately. Right. Like, yeah. you know that they're going to be good. Um, and, and so I think that's the thing that kind of would push you towards wanting those players. If that's the direction you're going to go. The only other thing with Josh Sitton that I saw on tape when I watched a couple of games of his were that he did seem to have a little bit more trouble with faster guys. Again, nothing that was overly concerning. But when you think of someone who's able to put a lot of speed, uh, a speed rush on the interior, like, I don't know, Aaron Donald. Then you worry a little bit, and I don't know if he's just not as good of an athlete as Andrew. I, say, I agree. I don't, I don't think his movement skills are quite as good. Yeah, I and, and I think that's that's ultimately what got him with faster interior defensive linemen. So he is, while he is still in that upper tier of cost, he is not as skilled as Norwell. And and again, this this gets into the question of okay, he's lesser skilled, but he's still a top five guard. And if he comes for you know four or five million fewer a year on a cheaper deal that you can front load. Does he eventually become the better option if you're going to ultimately sign or I'm sorry, ultimately draft an interior lineman in the draft? So that's Norwell. That's sitting. Let's get to Justin Pugh. David, what's the case for Justin Pugh? So I think you start one of the things that we just ended on, right, is the athleticism. He is, I think, without question, the most athletic of these top players. Um, there is a reason the Giants continue to try him at tackle, right? He played tackle for his first two years in the league. They finally put him back in at guard for two more years. And then this year was kind of forced to to bump back outside. But he has the athleticism to do it. It's it's noticeable uh, in the way that he moves compared to larger players like sitting in Norwell. Um, I mean, both of those guys have about 20 pounds, 20 plus pounds on on Pew. Um, and it shows up on tape in the way that he blocks on the move. So, uh, again, a lot of the things that you're expecting to see from him in this Kyle Shanahan offense, right? It's it's the zone blocking, being able to get up to the second level and uh, you know find linebackers and get your hands on them. It's it's the screen game, which uh, again we know that Shanahan loves that. They're going to get involved in the screen game, so you're going to have to get out in space and again track down these safeties and these linebackers. Um, those are things that he does very well. And then you do have you kind of tied into that same point the added value of the positional versatility because uh, you know it's one thing to to be uh, Zane Beatles and say that you can play tackle, but really do nothing well, uh, and be somebody like, uh, Pew who has played the position relatively well in the past. I mean, he had, uh, grades of right around 78, 79 dur during his first two seasons, uh, in the league where he was playing tackle. So he has experience there and it's experience that isn't just like, ah, well, he was able to fill in and, uh, that's about it. Like he, he could he stand there. You, you could, you know, it's not his best position. You do want him at guard. But if all of a sudden, you know, injuries get crazy, Staley and Brown are both injured and you need somebody at tackle, like he is capable of doing that. So ultimately, he is a very, very versatile player. He's an athletic player and he's a very good blocker in both phases. 
not quite to the level of Norrell and Sitton. It sounds like we're kind of putting them in order in terms of skill, absolutely, in terms of the order of the show. Norwell, Sitton, and then Pew. But he's still been very, very good. During his two seasons at guard, that was 2015 to 2016, 3.7% of Pew's uh, pass block snaps resulted in a pressure, which t- was tied for 10th best out of 43 guards with at least 750 pass block snaps. That's a lot of numbers to tell you that he didn't give up very many pressures. Yeah. Now, his 33 ple- he, he had 33 pressures, pressures allowed in 890 pass block snaps. Um, so ultimately, he is very, very good and good enough to be at the bottom end of that high dollar bucket. Yeah, his top end play, again, isn't quite as good as what we've seen from Norwell and Sitton. I think there are some you know decent arguments. The fact that he's had to move around and couldn't really settle into a position certainly could have contributed to that. Um, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't dismiss that argument entirely, but from based on what we've seen, what we've seen on him, um, on tape so far, like he hasn't reached those heights, you know, so it's still been very good. Uh, I think when you start moving to the the case against, it's the stuff that he's been dealing with these last two years and it's really, uh, injuries have been a problem. So he's coming off his worst season as a pro as he's entering free agency, which is, you know, never a spot as a player that you want to be in. 52.4 overall grade, which is the first time that he dropped below 78 in his entire career. Again, mostly played at right tackle this year, which isn't his best position. Um, And then, again, the injuries. Back injuries uh, kind of killed him throughout most of this year. It was something uh, that has been a concern for the past two seasons. Um, Ended up getting him on IR this year. Was on IR with, I, I believe, a knee injury the year before. So there's more concerns on the injury front and durability and whether he can hold up. Um, then you're dealing with the, with those top guys. I, if you're looking for a positive there, a silver lining, it's that he's going to come in cheaper. I think rather than being at that, you know, 12 to $15 million range, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him coming at more like 10 um, or even something like that, where he's looking for a one year, 10, 11 million deal. deal. Yeah. yeah give, give me a prove it deal. Not a ton of guaranteed money in there and, and let him show everybody that he's healthy and, and back to that level of play that he, you know, was at a few years ago. So ultimately, with Justin Pugh, he's a player that did not reach the heights of Sitton or of Norwell, but he's got some serious, he's got some more concerns than you would have for either Sitton or Norwell, but he is someone who would still come in and be an upgrade and play successfully, even though he would come in at a cheaper dollar value than the other two. So give me your, like, let's say that you had to pick one player in the top bucket based on both value and skill and fit. And we're not saying that this is the overall choice or what we want to do in free agency. This is just of that bucket. What's your pick? David, go. I think it would be sitting. Um, to be very clear, I would love Andrew Norwell or Justin. I think they're both great players. Um, I do think that the drop-off in play between the two isn't as large as what I'm kind of guessing the difference in pay is going to be. I, I think you can get sitting for a little bit cheaper because he is a little bit older uh, and, and that the value you get there because of that is going to be greater. Yeah, and I would probably agree. And I'm, I'm probably giving away a little of what we're going to talk about later, but especially given the quality of interior offensive linemen in the draft, I think that spending a little less on someone like Sitton and developing even a third round pick, a year of seasoning for a third round pick is still invaluable. It is a much better strategy than breaking the bank for someone like Norwell, considering the gap in play isn't going to be that much different. So let's get to the mid-level bucket. We're going to get through the mid-level and bargain bins a little faster than normal, but we're still going to give you two players in that mid-level bucket. First is going to be Josh Klein, and then we're going to talk about Jack Muhort. I keep thinking Mewtwo. Whenever I see Mewhort, uh, props to all of the Pokemon Go players that are still out there <laughs> creeping up on people's lawns. Man, are people still playing that? They are. I was at a sake bar uh, last week, and there's actually a Texas sake bar. It's delicious, and we should go. But there was a, a girl there just playing Pokemon, sitting at the bar, drinking sake. It was awesome. It's great. You do you, you know? Yeah, man. You do you. As long as you're, you know, not trespassing. Don't sure, do sure. Don't do those things. But let's talk about the, the quick case for Josh Klein. He, of course, is a guard for Tennessee. He is a relatively consistent producer, and he's been so over the last four years. Of course, he's not going to be nearly as high as that top-level bucket, but that's why he's in the mid-level bucket. His grade range is about 67 to 79, but only one of those years was he under 70, and that was two years ago where his grade was 67. Most of his other grades have been between 75 and 79. So he is 
you know, average to above average, depending on what season you get him in. He is a much better pass protector than he is a run blocker. So he is a really, really good pass protector, and he's shown that over his time in Tennessee. Not as good of an athlete as any of the top-level guys, but he's someone that could very much come in on a on a mid-level contract and I think be an upgrade in at least one of the guard spots. With Muhort, I think he fits that mold of a player that is kind of at a low point in his value that does have upside, right? So this is something that we've mentioned in previous episodes with uh, mid-level and then especially the bargain players, right? There needs to be some element of upside there that to make you think that they can uh, get to higher highs than what we've seen from them recently. And, and he's a player that, again, coming off his rookie contract, had a promising start to his career. So played pretty well as a rookie, improved, was uh, ranked 13th among guards in PFF grade in, in year two, was basically the only, you know, a lot of people talk about the, the Colts offensive line being basically a disaster during Andrew Luck's entire career and just having him get the shit beat out of him constantly. He's the only bright spot, essentially, in that entire line during those years. Um, similar to Pew, again, because of, of some of the issues, he's going to be cheaper. That's why he's in this mid-level bucket. I think for him, it's it's a more of a certainty that he's going to be quite a bit cheaper there. I wouldn't be surprised if he even drops into kind of bargain level stuff. Like, I think around five, six million for a one-year deal um, makes a lot of sense for him to go out and kind of prove that he's healthy because you get to the case against and injuries have been a major problem for him. He's played even fewer snaps in the last couple seasons uh, than Pew has. It's been recurring knee issues is, is, is his issue. So landed on IR uh, with a knee, pro- uh, knee problem in 2016. Never really fully recovered from that. Was kind of dealing with it um, all throughout training camp. Tried to tough it out for a little bit to start 2017. Was like missing at least one practice a week so that he could try to rest it and get out there and go. And just wasn't the same player. And, and after five games, landed on IR again. Ended up having knee surgery. So he's a guy that, again, has shown kind of that nice little arc that you like to see for rookie players, right? Uh, where he started out pretty good, got better in year two, then has just had all these knee injuries. So you sign him to a one-year deal, bank that he can get back to there. And if not, you're, you know, again, you didn't pay him a lot of money. You can move on pretty easily. You know, and for Josh Klein, the case against is that there's a huge delta between his pass blocking and his run blocking. His run blocking grade was atrocious. It was in the 40s, whereas pass blocking grade was in the mid to upper 80s. So this is a player where the the drawback is that, yeah, you're getting a really good pass protector. You are, and pass protection matters, especially for a team that is probably going to lean a little bit more pass. I think the Niners were ended up being somewhere near like 55 or 57% pass and a little bit less run. And and so, you're, I mean, it's a pretty big deficiency for a guard. And so that's, why, that, that's what puts him in that mid-level area. And he's got trouble with, he has trouble with elite guys like Geno Atkins. And we see elite players in the NFC West on the defensive line. And and so that, you know, that is a concern, but you know what you, you pay for what you get. And there's a reason he's in that mid-level bucket, right? That's, I think the world you live in with, with guards, you know, interior guys, especially is once you move kind of beyond those elite players, right? We talked about there, there's few guys that are really capable. The, the, the interior defenders are much better player. They're much better athletes. They have a significant advantage going against the wide majority of guards. Um, so once, once you get beyond those elite players, you're just going to kind of have to live with the fact that, Hey, he's probably not going to have a great day against Aaron Donald. We're going to need to come up with a plan to help, you know, him out and, and to make life a little bit easier for them, whether that's, you know, helping things out with a chip, uh, from a back on his way out, or knowing that you do have a player like Jimmy Garoppolo, at quarterback that can navigate that pressure, be able to get the ball out quickly. Like those are all things to consider when you're trying to figure out, you know, who you want to put in these spots. And I think all the players that we're going to be looking at really beyond those top two are going to have some level of that concern. Yeah. So I think if we had to pick a player in this mid-level bucket between Klein and Muhort, I think we, I would pick Muhort just based on upside. Uh, is that where yeah, you'd be as well? I, th- I think that's where I land as well. Yeah. So let's get to the bargain bin and this bargain bin is going to be unique to the other bargain bins. I feel like because this bargain bin is going to feature a player that you 49er fans should be relatively familiar with already. And it's going to be one of the first times that we're going to advocate strongly for re-signing a free agent that is on the roster already. And that's going to be one Mr. Brandon Fusco. Brandon Fusco, starting right guard, San Francisco 49ers. He's going to be our bargain bin player. And he's going to be someone that I think both you and I would stump for re-signing pretty hard. Yeah, I, I think he fits that mold of, you know, it was last year. 
but he fits that mold of a player that had been pretty good in the past. You know, when he was with uh, Minnesota kind of in the earlier years of that, uh, that deal um, played pretty well, you know, got into above average play, I think, and then had some shit happen. Wasn't very good for two years, hit a really low point in value. That's where you get the deal that the 49ers were able to sign him to last year, bring him in. And I think he rebounded pretty nicely. Right. And so I think he played at a solid level and, you know, if you just decide that you don't want to go after those top free agents at guard and you're going to say, hey, we look at it and we see a very deep draft class at this position and, and we're, we're not super comfortable paying a guard, you know, at the top of his position, then bringing somebody like Fusco in and, and having him slot in at one of the guard positions makes a lot of sense. I think it still makes sense even if you go get one of those guys because Agreed. Josh Garnett's no sure thing, right? You still you still need to fill the other guard spot as well. You think um, it's what's so funny is you think about Garnett's athleticism and that's one of the one of the things that was supposedly that he was supposedly good at. He was supposedly a plus athlete. He was good at pulling. And early on, I remember you mentioned like, yeah, he's really good at pulling. But as long as you get people on a straight line, once he's got to change direction, the dude falls over. And he was asked to lose weight to try, I'm sure, to heighten his, his athleticism so they didn't have to move as much weight around. Where someone like a Norwell or a Sitton, who are pushing around 320, maybe 330, can do it with ease and look like athletic ninjas, even though they're probably, you know, packing on just as much weight as as someone like our, you know, famed first round pick that needs to lose a bunch of weight in order to get that athletic. So you know, it's just an interesting contrast when you're saying like, yeah, th- you still need to be a really, really good athlete on the offensive line, especially when you look at the scheme and what Shanahan asked his offensive line to do. Those reach blocks are not easy to get sometimes, man. No. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a, a situation where you don't have to be light. You know, I think this is something uh, Charles Bentley. We had uh, Fooch did an interview. We were able to like uh, toss in some questions to basically ask him. This was one of the things that we asked him about because he does a lot of work with training offensive linemen, um, both at like a, a lower high school level and then all the way up to the pros. Um, and it, it's less about that athletic pro- or the the size profile, right? The height, weight. You can have bigger guys if they have the requisite movement skills. That's what you need in order to really exceed in in the zone blocking stuff that the 49ers do. And so that's where you look at bigger guys where do they look like guards that would have been on, you know, the the Broncos Super Bowl teams when, um, you know, they were, were running the same type of offense? No, they're not that they're, light. They were 280 pounds. Yeah. So so they're different type of players or different size, but they have those same movement skills. Right. And that's something that Garnett hasn't showed. So that other guard spot isn't locked up. And even if you go, regardless of whether, you know, what else you do to address guard at a, at a higher value level, right? Whether that's sign uh, a top free agent, whether that's use an early draft pick on somebody, you still need one more spot. And I think Fusco gives you a pretty safe fallback option to where if Garnett doesn't work out, um, you can feel pretty comfortable plugging him in and knowing that you're going to get competent play. Brendan Fusco had an overall grade of 76, which was very, very similar to Josh Klein, which we mentioned in the mid-level bucket, and someone that the Niners have been uh, rumored to be interested in because he might be a cap casualty, and that's Andy Levitre. Andy Levitre is a guard for the Atlanta Falcons. He may be a cap casualty. He may not be. Who knows? He's not technically a free agent. But if he, of course, is cut, then he is someone who is linked to Shanahan immediately because of his tenure in, in Atlanta. But when you look at Andy Levitre, there's not a lot of film out there that says that he's a ton better than Brandon Fusco. And one's probably going to come in at about like six or seven million a year. The other is going to come in at like four or five million a year. If that, if that. And, and so I think that when, again, when you look at value versus production, Brandon Fusco, I think is someone that the 49ers should be, should have a priority re-sign tag on. The only thing I would say is that the case against Brandon Fusco is that he is, he, I think he proved that he was good enough on his one year prove it deal that he could go and, and compete for a starting role. And if the 49ers do indeed go and sign someone like a Norrell or a Sitton, Fusco might say, nah, I'm just going to go sign somewhere else because I can go play as opposed to know that I'm an interior backup and have that be my life. Yeah, uh, I think it's tough, right? That's why I think one of those gray areas is tough to project a little bit. You know, teams obviously want to have good interior play for for a lot of the reasons that we mentioned before. Um, but I think you can find guys in in that same sort of stratosphere like fairly easily. 
Um, it, the nice thing about Fusco for the 49ers is that we know what we're getting, right? He's in the scheme. You know what he's like in the locker room. Like, all of the things that you have to deal with with a free agent, right? You know that he's going to be okay. It's it's going with the guy that you know versus a player that you don't that may not bring you know, much of an upgrade on the field. And that's the thing that does it for me is that for every other player, we're projecting how they're going to do in this scheme. For Brandon Fusco, we know exactly how he's going to do in this scheme. We don't need to project. We know how good he is, and I think that's valuable. And I think it's valuable that you know what you have and, you, and you're paying for what you know you have. And, and so I guess my question for you is, we, we talk about bargain bin, and over the course of the free agency preview, we've said, okay, you know, top dollar, we've set the top dollar market. Mid-level is about half of that, and bargain bin is you know, a little less than that. How much money are you willing to pay per year over a two- or maybe three-year deal for someone like a Brandon Fusco, considering that he would be targeted, he would be kind of slated as an interior backup if Garnett succeeds or be a starter if Garnett does not. I think he deserves a raise. So like for context, last year he made $1.4 million. He's going right? to make more than that. You should get a little bit more than that. Um, I don't know that it'll be drastically that much more. I think something in the neighborhood of three, four million a year you know, it makes a lot of sense. I think something not, you know, dissimilar to the type of deal that Kilgore got, right? I think they're they're kind of similar caliber players, I think, where you don't really feel all that comfortable with them being your long-term solution, but they're solid enough, and if you put some good players around them, they can look a lot better, right? Kilgore, I think, looked better when he had a better offensive line around him. Oh, man, Kilgore's um, going to look so good if we end up with Sittner Norwell. He's going to look really awesome. <laughs> and so I think that's where, you're like, you, yeah, you look at, uh, you know, you look at Kilgore and his cap figures, and and basically they did the thing that they're going to do with hopefully all of these players, which is they're front-loading a lot of money into year one because they have all this cap space that they're not going to be able to use. And so... He's kind of in that, you know, right around three million, three to four million cap hit average per year. Um, I think that makes sense for somebody like Fusco. All right. So we've covered the interior offensive linemen that we think are important for the 49ers to cover. We've talked about that. The top level bucket, Andrew Norwell, Josh Sitton, Justin Pugh. Mid-level, we've got Josh Klein and Jack Muhort. And bargain bin, we've got Brandon Fusco. The priority 49ers free agent, <laughs> outside, of course, of Jimmy Garoppolo, which is now resigned. Already done. Already done. Think about it. So let's get to the preferred free agent plan. We've spent a month digging deep into the most important positions, and we spent a month before that identifying the most important positions. Well, this is a deep dive into the exi- we're, we're pro personnel scouts at this point. <laughs> we've done, uh, we've done, we, yeah, man, it's been it's been so much fun because we haven't been able to do this type of stuff. Usually uh, we're looking for coaches right now. Yeah, uh, so it, it's it's a little bit different than what we've done in the past, but it's it's fun to have a much better feel for what the the free agent market looks like, like what things are looking like off season, not have to focus about all that. I have, I have felt in the last couple of years, like free agencies hit it. I I felt like a race from Jan, from January to like may. I felt like it was just a fucking sprint. And it's, I'm just like, a lot of times we're getting to the point where it's like the combine maybe. And we're finally catching up. We got a coach at this point. And it's just like, I don't even know who the free agents are. Like I'm trying well, to, yeah, because as soon as we get a coach, it's like, all right, what scheme do they run? What are they going to bring with their assistants? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's crazy. So we get, we get a moment to sit and breathe and think, okay, what's the preferred free agent plan, knowing what the gaps are on the roster and what is out there in terms of free agency, David, what would you say is the map for what the 49ers should do in free agency? So I think they have an opportunity to spend big at two spots. You know, we, we, John Lynch has mentioned being his his go-to term so far has been aggressively prudent. Which is fucking stupid. Can I just go ahead and put that out there? I love John Lynch. I love John Lynch. It is. But that's a stupid fucking phrase. It's a stupid phrase. Um, But I think they they have an opportunity, right? They have a lot of cap space this year. We've talked about how there's this window where they're going to have a lot of cap space and they're not going to have to worry about extending a lot of their own players in that time frame, right? Because most of the good ones that you're going to worry about re-signing at some point, that decision's coming two, three years from now. So we have this window where we can kind of front load a lot of money on some free agents that we think can come in and, and have a significant impact right away. I think the two spots that I feel most comfortable 
that players will be able to come in that we sign for a high price and be good players and not be like free agent bust that you, that you want to avoid is cornerback and then now interior offensive line. I think those two spots make a lot of sense. Um, go get Butler. Go get Tremaine Johnson if that's the guy. I mean, it, yeah. I prefer Butler personally, but Tremaine Johnson's your guy. Like, go get him. Um, I would say I prefer Butler a little as well, but I, I don't prefer him so much more over Johnson that I think Johnson's a mistake. I think yeah, I think agreed. either either one of those players I think would be immediate upgrades and would be immediate corner like CB ones at this point, and they would upgrade that defense immediately. So step number one is go and get a cornerback, whether it be Butler or Johnson, just go get that person and and give give them whatever money you want and front load the hell out of it. It's astounding to me that we've signed our long term quarterback. And still have the fifth most cap space in the NFL. It's still $69 million. Nice. We have a lot of money. And, and the thing that that cap space gives you is it gives you the ability to front load contracts in this year and then not have to worry about that in subsequent years. Right. So if you look at, so again, two spots, go get Butler or Tremaine Johnson, right? That's your premium position. That's the guy you need players that can cover. That is, I think, the the single biggest weakness on this team right now, pass coverage. They need help there. Butler and Johnson can provide that help. Go spend whatever you want. And then go get your interior guy, right? So if you if you go get a Norwell or a Josh Sitton, you could, in theory, like go give, say, let's use Butler and, and Norwell, right? We'll just pick the top two options that we like. Um, you could pay Butler $25 million this year and then even go give Norwell like $18, $20 million in year one, right? Which would be absurd cap numbers for that position. For first year. For first year. And then you're looking at, so players got to love that, right? Because, you know, NFL contracts, they're not like the other sports. They're not guaranteed. You know, you want that money as soon as you can get it because it's no guarantee that you're going to play out that contract and be on the team from, you know, two, three years from now. So you want that money up front. Players are going to love it. And then you're at a position where now, after year one, you're you're not paying them outrageous cap numbers, and they're they're very reasonable. You know, they may be toward the top of their position, but you're not like setting the high bar uh, for for the rest of that contract. And and so I think you put yourself in a very good spot. If you were to pay Butler or or Johnson and Norwell nineteen million and fourteen million dollars respectively in year one, which would be pretty good front load, right? That's only thirty three million dollars. You still have another thirty million dollars to play with. Yeah, this is it. Think if you did something like twenty-five million and twenty. That's that's forty-five million dollars in year one for those two players, and you still get another twenty-five million to work with. Yeah, it's a little um, ridiculous. It, so, it really is. So they have some flexibility to go out and make things very enticing for those top players. But is you? But is you? So I think that we we know we want to spend on cornerback. We know that we're going to spend top dollar for either Johnson or Butler, but. Is your recommendation to pay top dollar for Norwell as well? I think so, just because of the situation they're in. Because you're really only dealing with, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, tr- trusting uh, Marate here to to kind of deliver the goods on uh, the contract. Excuse details. you, Marathlete. <laughs> My bad. Um, you're you're, <laughs> you're trusting that he's going to, you know, do what he does, and that's that's construct smart contracts. Um, so yeah, I think in in uh planet like would I be comfortable paying Norwell exactly 15 16 million dollars as a cap hit for 4 or 5 years like uh that doesn't sound as good to me because like in year 4 and 5 like that doesn't look real good. Um but if I have to pay him 20 million this year and then my cap hits looking at like 10 12 million every year after that then like okay, that's a little bit more palatable like I can deal with that. I'm probably still going to be able to get out of it just because it's an NFL contract after year three uh, and and not really be all that worse off for it. So I think they they have the flexibility to do that now. I think in most situations, I would be against that move, especially with a draft class that's deep. Like you can go out and probably get a guard uh, that's going to be a pretty good player even on day two, maybe day three of this draft. So uh, it's just kind of a unique situation they're in where I think this is one of the rare spots that I think it makes sense. Yeah, so the the preferred option so far is pay a corner like Butler or Johnson and then pay Norwell 
I think if you end up paying someone like Sitton, it means you got to draft an interior lineman somewhere in the draft, which I think makes a ton of sense, especially in a draft class where you're super deep. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think, though, we've got other positions. You've got edge and you've got pass catcher. The, we said the cupboard was bare at edge, and that's, and that's even more so now that Ansa was tagged. Junior Gallette really is the only player that I think in free agency is worth going to get, and I understand why you wouldn't want to go get that guy because of the red flags that he that he brings. Lynch was already talking about getting Eli Harold at Leo, and so I mean they're already looking at options. They're already like, shit, who are we going to? Edge play is at Leo? not great, so we're going to get into you know we're going to hit a lot of these same positions, if not all of these same positions for the draft. For the draft. Um, Edge isn't great at the top for draft yeah. either. Um, it, it's it's really a spot that's going to I think be hard for them to address this this offseason. Well, my my question is really whether if. I think we, it's safe to say that we're going to exclude Edge from the free agency kind of splash area. We're not going to spend a ton of money on Edge. Yeah. If we're if we're going to spend no one there. if we're going to spend any money on Edge, my preferred option is to go for the bargain bin of Junior Gallette because he has the most upside. Sure. And and that's that. But I think the other area then is pass catcher. So if we're saying go and spend on corner, go and spend on interior offensive line. Do you then also spend on wide receiver? Allen Robinson, uh, I think that the GM from Jacksonville said that Alan, we have to make sure Allen Robinson fits. Like, we love him, but we have to make sure it's good for the team or some bullshit. Yeah. Like, I, I, whatever, you take that for what it's worth, take it at sure. face value. But, you know, you could interpret that as saying that they're not necessarily super high on bringing him back. But even then, you look at someone like Jimmy Graham, you look at other players that are going to command more of that 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 million dollars in cap hit immediately or Allen Robinson, who's going to be closer to that wide receiver one in annual in annual contract dollars, do you go out and get three top dollar players? Or do you go out and get edge offensive line and then not worry about pass catcher, not worry about edge, and try and solve that other ways, whether it be by, you know, bargain bin mid-level or in the draft? I think the latter. I, I really don't feel comfortable with a lot of the pass catchers that would command top dollar. Um I think Allen Robinson, I honestly, like those comments aside, I, I am still at a point where I would be shocked if he actually becomes available and doesn't stick around in Jacksonville. It would just be so incredibly stupid for them to let him go. Um, so, but, but even then, I wouldn't be, you know, we talked about him a lot on, on obviously the pass catcher uh, episode. I'm not a hundred percent sold that he's kind of worth that top end money right now. I don't feel as comfortable spending the money there as I do at cornerback and I do at interior offensive line. So I think those are my only two positions where I really want to go out and kind of get one of the best players at that position. And then after that, I'm looking, I'm, I'm re-signing Fusco and then I'm, I'm kind of looking at the bargain bin, right? Seeing who's available there. If Dion, Dion Lewis is the one guy that kind of entices me a little bit because I love him as a player, uh, and I do think he'd be such a great fit with what Shanahan does. Like he would be so much fun to watch in this offense. Um, so if he becomes a player that's undervalued a little bit based on kind of what we were expecting, then then yeah, I think you maybe are, are okay going out spending a little bit more at running back than what you would typically like to to get him. But I think that's the area that makes sense. There there are several options at running back to get a guy that can contribute in the passing game. And that's something that they just completely lack, right? At least at the other spots receiver, you, you feel okay with a top three of Garcon, Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Kittle being your top tight end. Like I feel okay with that. There is nobody that I feel okay with right now on the roster as a, as a receiver at running back. Um, none of no, like Hyde got a lot of targets. He's just not any good. Like I, I in that area of, uh, of the game, I think you look at options like Deion Lewis, Jarek McKinnon, Rex Burkhead um, stick out to me above the rest. But that's where I'm going to find my kind of upgrade in the passing game on offense. All right. So I'll give you my dream kind of acquisition list. You give me yours for the positions that we've got so far. I think you go out and pay for Butler or Johnson. I think they're close enough that I'd be fine with either one. I think for guard, I would probably prefer to go and pay Sitton. Only because I think the, the he's going to come in a little cheaper, and he's going to probably come on a three or four year deal, such that we can still draft an interior offensive lineman that's going to give us you know seven or eight years of performance as opposed to just four, and then you worry about them leaving. I think Jarek, like I'm enamored with Jarek McKinnon. 
Yeah. I I I want like I want him more than I want a corner and or an interior offensive lineman. Not because I think that he would do more or be better, but just because I would love to see him in Shanahan's offense. It'd be fun. I would love to see him run like a a red zone sale concept from the backfield just because he can. Like that's the kind of shit I want to see with Jarek McKinnon. So I'm super enamored with that. And then I think for Edge, I'd want to sign Junior Gallette, red flags notwithstanding. And then of course sign Brandon Fusco for insurance. Like like that that's that I think would be like my dream offseason. I don't think the Niners are going to be that active. John Lynch has said that they're going to be more selective. They won't have the volume of last year. So I think they're probably going to target one or two players, but that would be my dream offseason. And the Niners have the cap space to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's only four players, though. Like, I think last year was unique in that we were turning over such a large percentage. So over 55% of the roster we turned over last year. Yeah, it wasn't um, necessarily a ton of guys at the top, right? They got Garcon. Um, they paid Kyle Juszczyk a ton of money for no apparent reason. Um, but it was a lot. The volume was very, very high last year. I don't think we're going to see, we don't need as many of the bodies at the bottom. Right? Yeah. They're, they're going to inevitably kind of get some of those guys. You need to get to 90 uh, for, for your roster there. But um, I think having four, you know, three, four guys at the top makes a lot of sense. I think, I mean, the guys you mentioned, that's, that's exactly what I outlined uh, in the free agency preview. Like that, that's where I think I'm at as well. I would not be remotely upset if you decided to go with Norwell over Sitton. Yeah, like, that's going to be fine. Hey, let's get a um, better player. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, Galette is interesting because I, I agree he's the only player um, that is really, I think, all that worth going after. And he also, and he brings something that the team doesn't have. Yeah. He brings speed. The Niners have big guys who can power. Yeah. And Doomerville is a bull rush guy. They need speed. And McKinnon is fun. McKinnon. Um, you know, it's, it's little things like he's, he was really great in the screen game there, uh, in Minnesota. Um, and it's just the, because he has such high athleticism, right? He's able to, to do really good things when he gets in the open field. You look at so many of those targets that Carlos Hyde got and it's just checkdowns, right? It's just like, okay, I have nothing open downfield. Let me dump it off to my back. And Garoppolo is really good at that. If he doesn't have, you know, what he wants downfield, very comfortable finding the checkdown option. And when you have a guy that can turn those checkdowns that you're only expecting to really get a couple yards, you know, a lot of times you have a backer right on you and you're going to get tackled. Um, you can turn those into first downs. Like that's such a huge benefit for your offense. It seems like a little thing. It's not very sexy. Like it's, it's not something that you're going to see clips of on Twitter, you know, of people posting, but it's very valuable for your offense to have somebody that can turn those checkdowns into seven, eight yard gains and pick up first downs for your offense. So I think he brings that element to the table. Um, yeah, I love, I love all those players. I think that's kind of the way to go. I'm spending big corner. I'm spending big interior offensive line, and then I'm kind of plucking my bargains at the other spot. And I love, I love the concept and idea that you know, we saw with someone like Harry Roseman in Philadelphia, where when you are, when you, when you are talent deprived at a position, you just like try and stack that position with as many bodies as possible and see who rises at the top. And, and I feel like just because you sign a corner at top dollar and just because you sign an interior offensive lineman at top dollar doesn't preclude you from drafting a player that is highly regarded at those spots as well. You, you There's nothing in the NFL that says, oh, you shouldn't have three really good corners. Yeah. Right. Like, Actually, the, like, please, please give me three really good corners. Yeah. I'll take that all day. Yeah. Like, could you imagine if we ended up with someone like Josh Jackson uh, in the first round and still had Tremaine and still had Tremaine Johnson or Butler and Akella Witherspoon? Yeah. Like that, about, that would be amazing. You need got you know, you want guys that bring different skill sets, right? To, to be able to match up with different players. You know, it's the, it's the, the big cliche right now. It's matchup league. But yeah, as much as you're going to have players on offense, you get talked about that do different things. You need guys on defense to be able to match up with those players. You need players on the inside that can match up with your tight ends and your backs out of the backfield. You need your guys on the outside that can match up with your top wide receivers out there. So uh, it, it's you can't again, you, you really can't have too many players who can cover well on the back end of your defense. You can't have too many players who can get after the passer on the D line. All right, so that does it for the free agency preview set of podcasts. Four episodes, four position groups, and our slated uh, and our preferred plan of attack. 
spend money at two positions, cornerback and interior offensive line, and then just stack players in the bargain bin or mid-level when it comes to both edge and pass catcher. So next week, it man, it, now we switch to draft. Combine is this week. You start to see all these measurements, lots of hand measurements, things that, you know, of course matter. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think right now, yeah, schedule-wise, our focus, I think, away from the podcast is going to move more to draft. But we have, free, I mean, free agency starts. Yeah. So we'll have some, obviously, free agency recap episodes in there. Yeah, we're going to have that a, sort of thing. Free agency starts basically uh, next week. So yep. we're going to have a, like, a preview mailbag next week, and then we're going to get into the recap of who it is that we've signed the week after that and then another recap episode before we start moving into the draft full bore and and so yeah there's still lots of free agency stuff before we move into the draft and we're going to start probably watching uh some prospects here in earnest eh, pretty soon so yeah so thanks again for tuning in if you want to get a a kind of written version of some of the conclusions that we've come to definitely check out david's article on pro football focus detailing the preferred plan of attack for the 49ers and free agency. It's mostly aligned with what we've talked about here, but that you know there, there's going to be a couple of, of little tidbits that David's going to throw in there in terms of stats that are going to help prove the, prove the case for what it is that we've discussed. You can always follow me at Better Rivals on Twitter. David, where can they follow you? That's going to be at Newman NFL. As always, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to thus far, leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcast. It helps other people discover the show, and it helps our rankings, which ultimately helps more people discover the show. It's a, vir- it's a virtuous circle. It's it's what Aristotle dreamed of when he thought of his virtuous <laughs> circle. You know, Aristotle was like podcast. Let's do it. <laughs> thanks for again. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next week. And as always. Go Niners. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.